fans, teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball has all the resources that you need to be a better coach, period. Today's basketball coaches are dedicated, year-round workers who face fierce competition to keep their jobs. And excellent instruction is out there, but finding it is inconvenient, unorganized, and it can be hit or miss. So visit teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. Sign up for the free trial. You're going to want to go past that free trial. We guarantee it. And be sure to join our good friend Billy Kegler on the Competitive Mindset Podcast where guests share how they differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. Join along on the journey to lifelong learning and improved performance with the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Follow on social media at Competitive Pod. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games, a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest games. As always, it can be their time as a high school coach, a college coach, a JV coach, a B-team coach, an AU coach or an all-SEC player, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest game. Or any combination of the above. You mentioned an all-SEC player. Is this our guest today? It was an MVP of the 2005 NIT, if I remember correctly, and he finished with just only 1,541 points, 641 rebounds during 132 games. He's an Ironman. Maybe we'll hear more about that here in a little bit. But he was a great college player at the University of South Carolina. Now he is the head boys coach at Wilson High School. Carlos Powell, welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast. Oh, man. Thank you guys for having me, man. Appreciate it. All right. That was good. That was tremendous. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were coming. I knew it. I knew you were coming. I knew you were coming with something. Those of you who listen to the podcast for a long time, we've probably mentioned Carlos's name. Carlos, like Brian said, was a great player at South Carolina. We both had the pleasure of uh, working there at the time when, when Carlos was a four-year starter and hard worker. And uh, Carlos, I always tell kids, you know, you and uh, you and Trey Kelly are always two, two guys that I point to about hard work paid off and, and made long professional careers and that you guys gave so much to the game. And I always tell my players, if you could play with that intensity and that effort and that attitude, that uh, they'll be successful basketball players. So that's something I always uh, tell my kids. But I want to ask you, where does that passion develop from that you always played with such passion, such effort, such enthusiasm? Um, I think the passion part came from me being cut from basketball in uh, middle school. I want to say, no, junior high. One of those grades, seventh grade, eighth grade. I got cut both times. And uh, all of my friends made it. You know, they made the teams and, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, I just, I took the summer before I went to high school to start working on my game. And just started getting better and better. And uh, I think what helped me is uh, my mom finally let me start going to the, uh, the local park, you know, down the street from the house. And and I got a little bit more physical and I also grew like three or four inches. So when I went to ninth grade, I made the team and 
I figured, you know, if I ever, I, I keep working as hard as I work, you know, what could, what, what else could happen? And I made the team in the ninth grade and those, all those guys that, uh, my friends that made the team in the seventh and eighth grade, only I want to say two of them made it in the ninth grade. And then I ended up, you know, getting pulled up to varsity, you know, for the playoffs and stuff like that. Well, Carlos, I've I've had the great pleasure of of watching your teams play up up close and personally. Now you, you you're you're still relatively well, you're young anyway. Listen, let's just be honest, but you're still relatively young <laughs> high school coach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm close, so I'm I'm gonna still say that I'm young too, right? But uh, so you're still a relatively young high school, your first first year high school head coach, and and got I got to, again got got to watch your teams play at Ridgeview as a as a JV coach last year. Um, so that passion for the game and um how do you translate that into your coaching and how do you, I mean, just flatly, how do you get your kids to play so daggum hard? I think, <laughs> oh man, uh, I think I made kid, the kids I know at Ridgeview, you know, talk about them specifically. I think I, those kids uh, were offensively, you know, gifted already. There were some offensively talented kids. And I, I just came in and I was like, you guys got to learn, you know, having fun playing defense. And I think that came from Coach Duckett. You know, that always stuck with me. Everything Coach Duckett has taught me throughout, you know, my life. And when I was in college, you know, a lot of, the, a lot of his jewels and stuff like that stuck with me. And I, and I, and I kept, you know, you know, beating into their brain that it, the more you play defense, the more fun it'll get. And that's what happened, man. We started – they started falling in love with defense, man, and we were just blowing teams out of the water. Uh, Carlos, I'm going to ask you a little bit of a fun question here. <laughs> I'm have some fun with you. Now, you played a couple years in, in the NBA Developmental League, but you played in New Zealand. You played in the Ukraine. You played in Iran, China. Venezuela, yes. South Korea. Yes. Uh, you you got to give me one wacky story from overseas. Uh, something wow. crazy story wow. about, you know, maybe not knowing <laughs> the language or knowing a custom. I'm, I mean, I'm sure you have a thousand of them, but you got to give me one. Um, uh, I can say uh, the story when I saw the guy. Well, it's not that. <laughs> it's wacky, but I, I did see a guy get hit on a moped and just get up. And just walk away. Like nothing <laughs> happened. But uh, I was in uh, I was in Seoul, Korea, and <laughs> we were downtown uh, shopping. And this guy was on one of his little electrical scooters, uh, and he was going across the uh, median. But the light, you know, obviously we weren't supposed to be walking. We were standing there, so he just you know rolled right past me, and I was like, hey, hey, you know, point at him. And then a car just was coming through and just was like, bang, and just hit him. He fell on the ground. He said something. He got up, made sure his scooter was all right, got his backpack in his water, and just <laughs> kept it moving <laughs> like it was just a norm. <laughs> That's crazy. That's definitely in in the states. We'd you'd call the police. You'd have to come get your insurance yeah, out. Everything, right? Yes. <laughs> all, just yeah, like, all, yeah. all of the above. Blank you. Neck I'm out of here. You know everything. The whole nine. <laughs> 
But yeah, I've seen some I've seen some crazy stuff, man. But that was just one of the uh, you know, weirdest stories I've seen. Like <laughs> it shocked me because of the uh, you know, the interaction after it happened. Like <laughs> it was a culture shock for me because I just I was expecting it was gonna be throw the scooter at the car, you know, police coming, they wanna <laughs> it was nothing. It was just the calmest wreck I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was just weird. That's what made it so weird. It was so calm. Well, Carlos, you mentioned one of our esteemed previous guests, uh, episode thirty-four, Rick Duckett. Uh, that's a that episode. Oh my yes. God! You talk about wisdom and, and jewels of and pearls of wisdom, whatever, whatever adjective. They, they were unbelievable. He was absolutely incredible. So. Yeah, I'm I'm curious, you know, you, you had a long, long, long and successful playing career and now you're just on the 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 front end of or of what I'm sure will be a long and successful coaching career. What are some of the differences, you know, cuz I I'm I'm struck, you know, you you've been competing for years and working and trying getting contracts and going to a new country and just working, working, working and you're you're competing against other guys and you're competing with, I know, but for us as coaches, we've, 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 we're always been, we've always been competing against each other, but we're also, also helping each other too. So what are some of the big differences that yeah. you have noticed as a young coach switching over from a player? Uh, the biggest difference from coaching to playing. Uh, <laughs> uh, keeping up, I would say, Hey, no, this is like, one of the things I'm, I'm big on, but uh, I keep up with my kids' grades and stuff like that. I think that's one of the things that was like, was probably one of the hardest things. Cause I got 27 with 30 kids and I'm like always checking with like teachers and, you know, stuff like that. And I could, I never see myself doing anything of the nature. You know what I'm saying? Like I always thought I was just going to be the hooper and then I got a coach and, it's so much more that comes with coaching, you know, it has nothing to do with teaching them a down screen or a cross screen or a back screen or a rebound or a box out, you know, it's everyday life situations they go through, you know, you got different egos and different personalities and different everything, man. So dealing with, you know, 30 different kids and, you know, stuff like that, man, I think that's the, uh, the biggest difference I see, man, you know, overall from changing from coaching to player, the grades and checking up on stuff and being on them and just always being that figure that they need and, you know, somebody to talk to all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing. So has that caused you to call all your old coaches and apologize? <laughs> I, uh, I have. Did I apologize to a coach yet? Um, or maybe I, say, I actually I told I no 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 I, I I've told definitely I've told my uh, my little league baseball coaches I see them a lot in Florence you know around the area like two or three of them I told them. I was like man I have no idea how you dealt with me but I appreciate you you know I told them thank you you know what I'm saying like everybody I all my coaches I come in contact with now uh, same with you know, Coach Tommy Johnson, you know, Coach Bob Wilson. I just told them I appreciate him, you know, because they didn't have to do what they did for me. They didn't have to put up with me. 
You know what I'm saying? They could have just, uh, he's just another guy and just left him, you know, left me, you know, astray mm-hmm. or whatever. And they took the time out of their, you know, schedule because coaches don't get paid enough. Let's say that first. I <laughs> for all of the for all of the stuff, <laughs> for all of the stuff that they have to do. All the paperwork. They don't make enough money. <laughs> yes, all of that stuff. They don't make enough. Right, all of that. But yeah, man. I just tell my coaches, man. I appreciate them. I thank them. Be honest, man. I think that's so that's so huge, Carlos. And it's just it's a reminder for for me back to I'm laughing and thinking about my my first couple of years as a coach getting into the game and thinking like I've, I've just finished uh being a student manager I know all these plays I know how to practice plan I know how to scout film all this kind of stuff we're going in there and win yeah. all these games and realizing that that was about three percent of yes like you talk about just the relationships that you that you build with those kids and um I think, well, again, I, I know I got to witness it for a year. Um, you, you do such a great job with those kids, and I know you're doing such a great job at Wilson. But um, and you're going to have a, a ton of great games. But you know the name of the of the podcast is The Greatest Game. So I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's two years as a coach, but like I said, you can go – you can dip. We're going to allow you to dip into your time as a player. But take us into those gyms, those arenas, and tell us about maybe one or two of your greatest games. Uh, I would say the, one of the greatest games, and I, w- I would say you were there to uh, witness uh, last season. I went, uh, after after Kobe passed, you know, the game after Kobe, we played, I want to say, I think Lugoff might have been Lugoff, so. where the guys, my JV guys, I've never seen them lock in, you know, the way – that they locked in for, you know, Kobe and Gigi. It was it was unreal to me to watch them just go out there. And it was their idea because, as you know, the final score was we scored 81 points that game. And we could have scored more. We had time to score more. We, I want to say we had about four minutes, three maybe three minutes, three and a half minutes, where we didn't even, you know, attempt to score the basketball. But we just stopped on 81 just for Kobe and Gigi, you know, and that was probably one of the most memorable games as the, uh, you know, JV coach at, uh, at Ridgeview. As far as playing wise, hmm. I had, who had a lot, I had a lot. I had quite a few, man. Uh, professional wise, probably one of my, Greatest games was my last two years. I got MVP in uh in Venezuela over Devin Downey. To be, yeah, just nice. Got that MVP over Devin Downey. Uh, I want to say it was uh against maybe the top team or the second best team, Carabas or something like that. And I was, I had about eight or nine game winners that year, like just daggers. I only missed about four, I want to believe. I was like eight for 12 and game winners that season. And I hit two, I hit two on uh, the best team 
threw two three pointers too. It was an unbelievable atmosphere. Just isoing, you know, a guy and Nate Robinson was on their team. That was another thing. We talked about Nate Robinson another time, you know. But uh, <laughs> I uh, I want to say I scored like the last nine points in a row to seal the game and to seal my uh, MVP for the season. And uh, it was pretty crazy because I felt I felt unstoppable. To be honest, we packed up the arena. It was it was unbelievable, man. Uh, the fans, the coaches. My coach, literally, man. My coach is tie. His tie was like all the way down, like all the way down. He was in a full sweat in the arena, man. <laughs> the last like two minutes of the game, man. It was like possession after possession. I couldn't miss. I could miss whatever I did. If somebody doubled, I passed. We knocked down a three. Back and forth. One point game. Boom, we up two. Tie game. Boom, we miss. They go back up two. We come back down, we score. Boom, I hit a three. Boom, they come back down, hit another three. Boom, they go down, I hit another three. Then I came down in a tie game and ISOed it for a pull up three points for the game and just walked off. Well, actually, I didn't walk off. It was a it was a picture. I don't think I can do that on here. So we'll talk about it. Chat, chat actually uh, sent me the picture. I don't know where he got the picture from, but he sent me a picture of me of what I did after I did. Uh, I knocked down a three point. Yeah, it was. Uh, I would just say you hold your hands like this. You know, mm, okay, you know, that you. that motion. Yeah, but you know, yeah, big ones. Kind of okay. okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was one of probably my best games. I had a uh, 37, I want to say 37, 12 and like six, something unbelievable. It was a crazy game. Uh, Carlos, I want to go back to that JV game you talked about from last year when uh, uh, after the, the passing of Kobe Bryant. Um, mm. Now, for you, you were you uh, five, six years younger than Kobe, you know, and obviously he came right out of high school. So you were sort of a contemporary of his as a professional ball player. Did first, did you ever get to actually play against him in any of the in the um, fall camps you were in, like when you were Golden State or anybody? In two thousand and what five, when I left USC, you know, I uh, I got invited to summer league with the Lakers. Oh, I didn't remember that. And I got a chance to, uh, yeah, in 2005, I got a chance to uh, actually practice and work out and just watch him go through his, I don't know what that's called. To be honest, <laughs> man, it was, it was next level, man. I'm, I'm going to shoot 100 fadeaways to the right, 100 to the left, off this side, 100 off this side, 100 on that side. It was just nonstop, like work just perfecting his craft you know of course we could go in there we were just some of the guys that we could watch from the trainer's room because it's like well not the trainer's room but the weight room mm-hmm. you, can see, you can see you know right inside the uh you know the practice facility and man this dude was just whoo <laughs> next level man so so when when that when that happened this february did did you talk to your team about sort of what Kobe Bryant has meant to the game of basketball. Did they talk to you, you know, that day, that next day in practice? How did that uh, go? Man, you know, when we found out, we found out as a team, 
we found out in the gym, uh, just uh, after our skills workout, we we usually do five on five. We were just messing around playing five on five, and I want to say I was recording a video because I want to say Nick Nick uh, let him, he was going crazy in the gym, and I just started recording. And one of the kids had ran over to me and was like, and "I put my phone down when he said it," and then he was like, "Man, Kobe and uh." Gigi just passed. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? And then everybody's stuff started going off in the gym. It's like notifications. So all of us found out at the same time. And, you know, I just ended, you know, practice right there. And, you know, a couple of the kids cried, you know, because Kobe is a big deal. I want to say all of the kids might have had on Kobe's or LeBron's that day. You know, Carlos, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded just for, for me of, of some difficulties that I had about that age, um, in, in law, dealing with loss as a 13 to 14 to 15 year old, um, and remembering my coaches being there, uh, to do what you just did, what you just described and saying, Hey, it's this, this, this is hard. Um, I don't know exactly how to deal with this either. Um, and I, I guess I'd, I'd love to hear you go a little further about okay. that experience for you as an adult to be there with a, a gym full of guys that, that you know, but they're not your family, but you, and you want to love on them, but you're not really sure what to say, how to, yeah. deal with it, you know, and then, like you say, you just go in full circle to watch them play the way they played. I remember that game so well, um, the, the following yeah. day. And it's not about the wins and the losses, but just just talk a little bit more about that experience as an adult, just leading young men during a very difficult time. Well, through that, I mean, you know, during that time, you know, when it happened and stuff like that, uh, I, I told the guys, you know, gave them examples of how I dealt with, you know, tragic situations and stuff like that 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 came suddenly when I was playing and I just ran through you know we sat in the locker room and I just told him a story man about you know you know dealing with you know adversity in life you know going out here and playing a game of basketball that's how I dealt with everything I let all of my frustration all of my emotions anything I was going through doesn't matter if it was, you know, girl problems, you know, mom yelling at me. I don't know. I didn't make a good grade on a test. You know, coaches in my head. Whatever it was, whenever I heard the basketball dribble, everything was okay. And that's what I tried to give to them. And then I think that's what happened, you know. And they said, man, let's just go out here and play basketball, man, because this is what we want to do. And. Kobe and Gigi, of course, if they could be here, they would, you know, want us to play basketball. And that's what we want to, we want to do. We want to go out here and play the game that we love. And we went out there, man. And it was, like I say, man, it was unbelievable to watch. It was unbelievable to watch. Yeah, it was, um, our season was over by then, but I remember texting with some of my players talking about it when, when it happened you know, with him being such an icon in the sport of basketball. But Carlos, we want to end here on a kind of a fun question. Let's pump it up a little bit. Now, I know you're in the 
infant stages of your coaching career, but you are loquacious and you talk about uh, Coach Duckett and his pearls of wisdom. So I want to know when you're coaching your kids, what's one pearl of wisdom or one thing you might find yourself saying over and over again to the kids? <laughs> okay, oh, clean it God. up what you say yeah. over and over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, um, it's a few, man. I, I had kids. It's weird, man. Me and Brandon Wallace talk a lot, man. He's me and Brandon. <laughs> we talk a lot, man. And Coach Duckett is like. Coach Decker doesn't know, man. He, I don't think he has an idea of how influential he was on our life. Not just basketball, but on our life in general. How we, you know, how we move day to day, how we operate with our families, you know, how we communicate with each other, man. Just, he had us trying to figure out, and look, he had us looking up quotes and stuff, and where does he come, you know what I'm saying? Like, He's coming up with certain stuff to say. I'm like, God, wait, this man is just unbelievable. <laughs> and and uh, I think the he said this to uh, Marcus Morrison. I remember him saying this to Marcus oh, Morrison. Mark Mo. Yeah, he he asked Mark Mo. He said uh, <laughs> he asked him. He said, uh, he said, son, did you bring a jacket today? I said, he said a jacket. He said the way he said the way that kid was flying by you on offense, man. I knew you almost caught a cold. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I swear, oh my god! And I caught myself saying that. I said, man, you got to bring your jacket. They, <laughs> they, ooh, we, I am using that one. By you first... today on, they're flying by you today on, on defense, bro. And you, oh my god, you gonna catch a cold? And I, I and I never forget it, man. And I never ever forget it. Besides. I, Asking, asking the kid, did they get better today? <laughs> That's his thing. Did you get better today? And I say that every day. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to have to use that coat one first game this season. I'm using that. <laughs> Hey, man, that's just one of them, man. He has a bunch. I, I use a ton of them. I don't remember him saying that one. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he has a bunch, man. He has a bunch. Brandon bunch knows. Of- Brandon has. I think Brandon just sat there and just wrote all of them down one day. He was just. Brandon has a list. I know for sure. Well, we talked. We talked to Coach Duckett on that episode about doing a book with him, where we write down all the Coach Duckett wisdoms. <laughs> What's your favorite one, Brian? You can make your mouth say anything. That is the that is my favorite. And I actually I used it uh, yesterday. Yep, I sure did. Used it yesterday. You can make your mouth say anything. Yeah, I mean. Or no, or no. Uh, we asked him, uh, "How's it going?" He said, "It's like fighting bears with switches." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I use that one, and people and people up north look at me like I'm crazy because that is overtly a southern saying. <laughs> Or you ask him, how's it going? Too soon to tell. Was in- <laughs> Too soon to tell, man. Oh, man. Yeah, Coach mm-hmm. Duckett is, uh, he's definitely all the time great, man. He uh, he taught us a lot, man. And those, uh, he's, a, hey, he is the reason every defensive call that I had in, in college, I use him today. About- he's the reason, like all of them. Because, you know, when we were there, you know, our defense was, it was serious for, I know my 11th grade year, we were in the top. We were at the top at one point. Mm-hmm. Holding well, you, teams you, under 50 points a game. You were the master at the 33 trap. 
33. We were in that. Oh, my God. You were the master at that about peeling off that I, guy and double teaming. Oh, I got a kid named Derek Daniels that does it just like that. Oh, my God. He's super duper. He's way more athletic than me. But he just he's just relentless. And that's my that's one of our favorites right there. 33. For sure. Well, he, 33 he, was a favorite. I remember Duckett talking about that in meetings. And I mean, I'm sure he told y'all too, but just throwing in a change up every now and again, it was, and that 33, what, what a beautiful thing. You think it's man to man. And then you turn your back just for a second. Yeah. And boom, here comes Carlos. Powell. And then they just, yeah. And, and just, just to be able to take them out of their rhythm offensively and just throwing it like, like I said, just throwing in a change up, throwing in a curve ball. Um, I just, I learned, I'm, I'm like you, I mean, even as a, a budding coach, I learned so much from, from Rick Duckett and that just, yeah, man. Um, for yeah. sure. True. And I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it then, you know, I'm like, yeah, we switching up defense. We about to just, we about to go get it. But nah, it was strategic. Everything was strategic. And he would look at me and he would just do the little fingers. And I was like, yeah, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And then I, I remember LSU, man. We turned our whole game around against LSU in 33 defense, right? Mike Boynton had a crazy game. That was at home. That was at our house. And I took a charge on the baseline. Was that the one? Yeah, that was at home. Uh, Roe had like four dunks in that game. Yeah, it was. He a had a Sports Center game. top 10 dunk in that game. game. Hmm. Yep. And he screamed on him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. He screamed on him. Yes, he did. Oh, man. My guy, bro. It, it also speaks to me, just the, the leadership of Coach Odom. You talk about, you know, uh, Duckett flashing the 33, letting him call the defensive. Oh, just being a, a defensive coordinator. Yeah. You know, just let trusting we, him. They, we had a defense. He was a defensive coordinator. Yep. Seriously. <laughs> he was a defensive. He don't care nothing about offense. I'm talking about absolutely <laughs> nothing. He would come to the huddle in practice and he'd be like, hey, I don't give a about Nothing they doing over there. This is what we about to do right here. <laughs> okay, hey, he said, you you guys know me. I, I defense here, defense every day. He said, hey, this is what we're doing. We're going to get them. We don't care what they run. And that was his thing, man. And Let Barry work. run the offense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let go <laughs> Worry about that. Worry about execution, man. Nah, I got this defense over here. And it worked, man. He was a defensive coordinator. A great defense to coordinate at that. It was a it was a really neat dynamic, and um, as we talk a lot about on this show, we get former Gamecocks on the show, and we start reminiscing and telling stories. And it's just, uh, I know for me, I had the time of my life. I think we all had the had the time of our lives, and just uh, and and won a lot of games. So much fun. <laughs> it was uh, it was a lot of fun. But speaking of a lot of fun, Carlos, uh, this has been this has been a lot of fun, and. Uh, um, we are, uh, hoping that, uh, maybe by the time this airs uh, episode 90, which is unbelievable, uh, y'all will be back playing basketball and, uh, we'll be moving forward in this time of COVID, but, uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. This has been, this has been a lot of fun, my man. All right, man. I appreciate you guys for having me, man. And, uh, thank you, de Blasio, Rose. When did I meet you guys? 2001? 2001, yeah. right? That's 2001. Right. Yeah. Hey, I met De Blasio. He had a little cubby hole for office. It was like a, it was like a closet. <laughs> it was like a closet. The dungeon. Hey, the dungeon, man. It had 
stuff everywhere, man. I've never seen an office like that in my life. <laughs> That's where they put yeah. me. I didn't have a choice. That's just where they showed me. <laughs> it was like, hey, you go over here, <laughs> hey, with all these tapes and all this other stuff, and you just, hey, you in here, all right. And I go over here. It was by the weight room? Yeah, it was right across the weight room. Hey, my bad. The classroom. The classroom. <laughs> that was the classroom. <laughs> that was a classroom. Yeah, it was, it was. That was definitely a classroom, man. We sure made. Man, yeah, man. I appreciate you guys, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. We appreciate you, Lois. Well, let's let's go ahead and wrap this one up for my co-host Chris De Blasio from the Dungeon. Maybe I am Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Greatest Games. <laughs>